From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Where, oh, where has all the ammo gone? Is the government hoarding? Is it a conspiracy to drive up ammo prices? Have aliens abducted all our ammo? It's time to demand some answers. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Mark Olivia, spokesman for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dean, I appreciate you having us and uh, giving us the opportunity to kind of give an update of what's going on. It's, uh, it's a real treat for us, so thanks. Mark, uh, to start us out, let's just um, talk a little bit about the National Shooting Sports Foundation. I know that we work with you guys on the legislative level. Why don't you just tell our listeners about NSSF, uh, what you do, what you're all about? Yeah, so the National Shooting Sports Foundation is the Firearm Industry Trade Association. Uh, we've been around since 1961. We represent your firearm and ammunition manufacturers, distributors, retailers, ranges, uh, in some endemic media. Um, we are the ones who own SHOT Show. A lot of people think SHOT Show is its own uh, entity, but we're the ones who own it, put it on, and, and execute it uh, every year with the exception of last year because of COVID, uh, but we're really looking forward to getting back to that. But what we do is what any other trade association does, is we represent the interests of our members. Uh, and those just happen to be our members make firearms and ammunition. So we're trying to make sure that they can uh, make their product, uh, move it to market, and make sure they can uh, meet their customer at the gun counter where, uh, where those needs arise. So everything from uh, issues of getting bar stock to the, to the plant to the ability to be sell their products legally in the United States, we're involved on all those fronts. So then you're directly involved with all the manufacturers of ammunition, and you, you, yeah. ought, you ought to know uh, all about that, right? Yeah, we've, uh, we've had an interesting uh, year plus when it comes to uh, guns and ammo sales. And uh, I think everybody out there probably going through some of the same pains that uh, you and I are finding uh, when we go to the stores. Shelves are a little bare. So uh, what I want to know is what the heck is going on with ammo? Is this a shortage is it a spike in demand? What what exactly is going on? Because we hear complaints all the time. We hear all the conspiracy theories. Just just tell us what's happening out there. Yeah, yeah, Dean. It really is a matter of overwhelming demand. And if I can tell you, listeners, I promise you, it's not a government conspiracy to buy up all the ammo and keep it from you. It's not aliens. I checked into it. Uh, it's not happening. Uh, anything with aliens. It really is a matter of overwhelming demand. Uh, and we started to see that ammunition was becoming difficult to find about June of 2020. But to really understand what's happening with ammunition sales, you have to really look at first the gun sales. So in 2020, we had 21 million background checks for the sale of a firearm. And that was by far a record. Uh, it blew anything away that was set previously. The record previous to that was uh, in 2016, we had 15.7 million background checks for the sale of a gun. So, you know, set that, you know, record 
way behind it in the rearview mirror. And to kind of give a little more context to that, in 2019, there was uh, 13.2 million background checks for the sale of a gun. So we were up, you know, over 7 million, you know, you know, roughly 7 million background checks. But we also saw was something that was a, a big shift in who was buying guns. So normally we've seen some of these run-ups in years, uh, in years previous. And typically they happen either with a national disaster or a natural, uh, you know, a national emergency of some type. So we saw regional run-ups of gun sales, uh, you know, post-Hurricane Katrina. We saw uh, in election years, we'll see a spike in gun sales because of the rhetoric that surrounds uh, presidential election years and, and people's concerns that they're going to lose their gun rights. But 2020 was different. 2020 was those same things, but we saw that also combined with uh, a pandemic. And, and so in March of 2021, or March of 2020, rather, we had uh, 2.3 million background checks for the sale of a firearm. And that was the most we've ever had on one single month. Um, and that was the same time when pandemic lockdowns were starting to come down to every state and they were starting to shut down and, and police departments were warning their citizens that they weren't going to be able to respond to every 911 call. And people responded to that and went out and bought a firearm. Well, that surge of firearm sales wasn't just a, a one month, two month, three month thing that happened throughout the rest of the year. And we're still seeing some of that happening now. So far in 2021, We've had over 11 million background checks for the sale of a gun. So we're running really close to the pace of last year. But last year, we also saw that based on surveys that we did with our retailers, we saw that there were over 8.4 million people who bought a gun for the very first time. And it's interesting because these were people who prior to the pandemic had been people who really had no skin in the game. They had uh, you know, they, they were able to talk about guns in a rhetorical context. It was a cocktail party question for them. Uh, but that changed. And, and in 2021, uh, they are now gun owners. They went from being, you know, someone in the middle of the ground somewhere in 2020 to 2021 that they own a gun, some of those cases, multiple firearms. So they literally invested their hard-earned dollars. But to really get back to the heart of the question about ammunition, you have to start looking at what those numbers entail. So if all of those 8.4 million people went out and bought just one box of 50 rounds. The back of the napkin math tells us that that's going to come out to 420 million rounds just to meet that need right there. And if we're looking for every one of those 21 million guns that were sold, at least 21 million guns that were sold last year, that comes out to over a billion rounds to meet the need for every one of those guns. Now, Dean, I'm probably sure you're like me. If I'm going to go buy a new gun, I want to go shoot it. So I'm not going to just buy it and then set it in the gun safe and say, well, maybe someday I'll get around to shooting it. So we can anticipate that every one of those people who bought a gun last year was out trying to buy ammunition for that gun, whether that was a new caliber they had never shot before or uh, another caliber, just a different frame. And they wanted to be able to use that firearm as well. And we're seeing that again continuing through this year. That's 11 million guns that have been sold so far in the first seven months of the year. So it really comes down to a matter of overwhelming demand that we saw in the market. Again, if, if it's SHOT Show in, in January of 2020, you would ask me and say, Mark, is there going to be, you know, eight and a half million new gun buyers this year? And I told you there was. You'd have told me I was crazy and, I, and you'd have been right to do so. That was something that nobody could have predicted at the beginning of 2020. But yet we saw it happen. And, and, and it was a huge shift in the market and that put a really big strain on the ammunition makers. 
What's the uh, ordinary capacity of the ammo manufacturing market? In other words, you know, what's the top end? How much ammo can they pump out in a year? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's probably one of the more uh, closely guarded secrets, I think, you would find among the ammunition makers. I don't think that any of the ammunition makers really want to uh, talk about what their capacity is. And it really comes down to, I think, the fact that most ammunition is pretty much made the same way. There aren't, uh, you know, there aren't a whole lot of differentiating, differentiating parts to the ammunition that's made. You know, shotguns are made with the brass and, and plastic hulls and, and the wad and the, and the shot and the gunpowder and the primers. I mean, and brass ammunition is made, it's made the same way. Rimfire ammunition is all made the same way. So it really comes down to a matter of capacity and, and some of those little extras that people are looking at for those firearms. So manufacturers really don't like to let out what their capacity is. Um, but we had an interesting look into it at uh, toward the end of 2020. So federal premiums uh, CEO, uh, Jason Vanderbrink, put out a couple of videos. And uh, he told his customers that in 2020, they had made more hunting ammunition that year than they had ever made previous. Jason Hornady of Hornady Ammunition put out a couple of videos as well. And it kind of gave us probably a little bit closer look to the, to the dot on that. And he said they had made 33% more ammunition in 2020 than they had ever made previous. So they really were maxing out capacity as best they can. And, and they're really trying to meet that, that demand. And what they're both, all the manufacturers I've talked to, not just, you know, federal and, 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 and even Winchester and some of the others, six hour making their own. They've all said that what they're making today is being put into a box and put on a truck and being sent out the door. It's not sitting around in a warehouse. It's not being held back so the prices can stay high. It really is getting out the door as quickly as possible. I had a really unique opportunity um, a little less than a year ago, Dean, as we're still kind of in the middle of this huge rush, and we're, we're still kind of going through this now. Um, but I was able to walk into one of the major distributors uh, for firearms and ammunition, sporting goods. Um, and normally their warehouse is just stacked, like you would see any kind of you know, warehouse. And I walked into this warehouse and you could see from one end of the warehouse to the other through the shelves. It was a very odd feeling to be able to see that. And the owners of the company were telling us that uh, they were doing what they call boomerang shipments, that you know parts or, or pieces of orders would come in to one side of the warehouse. They'd be unloaded off the, off the trucks. They would hit the floor. They'd scan all the the you know materials coming in and they would literally rebundle it on the floor to fulfill the orders and scan it back out the other side of the warehouse. So it was never actually going onto the shelf. It was being broken down from one pallet, reorganized onto another and sent out the door literally the same day. And that's how they've been operating for quite a while. So it's it's been you know, a real test of the manufacturing, distributing, and supply chain to get it out there. Early on, I know a lot of people who do their own reloading are asking, you know, where's the primers? Where's the primers? Well, it, it, it's a matter of these major manufacturers normally sell off those excess parts, uh, or the components rather, of the, uh, the ammunition to the reloader market. So if there's extra brass, extra primers, gunpowder, shot, bullets, et cetera, they'll sell those off so you can make your own ammunition. But because they've been working so hard to try and meet that demand, those parts have not been available. Those component parts to make your own ammunition are being used to make finished ammunition rather than sell it off to the secondary market. Um, so we saw some issues with some primer uh, primer availability early on. 
Uh, some of that had to do with the fact that, uh, again, the major manufacturers using it to fulfill their own orders. Uh, we also saw that there were some COVID issues overseas. Uh, some of the overseas providers of the primers, uh, their factories were completely shut down while ours were able to stay open. But you know, we're, we've seen that there have been some moves within the ammunition manufacturing side of the house to you know try and meet the demand at a greater scale. So we saw that six hour announced earlier this year that they're going to expand production down in Arkansas, uh, and they're going to be you know making more ammunition and, and making more of their own parts of their ammunition down there as well. We saw that Ambo Incorporated made the announcement that they're going to be building a brand new facility up in Wisconsin, and their target goal is to have that open within a year, which is blindingly flat, fast when it comes to constructing anything. I mean, I think if you're going to talk about building any kind of manufacturing facility, you're probably looking normally at about three years from about the time you put the shovel in the dirt, you're able to turn the lights on and put people to work. Uh, so they're really working hard and fast to be able to meet some of that demand. The manufacturers are making as much as they can to getting it out the door as quickly as they can. The problem is, is People are buying it much faster than they can produce it. So, Well, that, that actually leads to my next question. You know, we're talking yeah. about new buyers uh, because yeah. their guns are being sold. But what about existing gun owners? How much hoarding is going on out there? Because yeah. I, I know I've seen this in the past, and, you know, we'll call it hoarding. Now, you know, if you look in my basement, you'll find, you know, just boxes of, of bulk ammo. So I don't, I don't know if I'm a hoarder or not. But, you know, a lot of us who do training or do competition, you know, we, we don't buy a, a box at a time. We're buying thousands of rounds at a time. So how much of that is going on where people just sense that things aren't right out there? And it's sort of like with toilet tissue last year, you know, people were just buying massive amounts. Is, is that yeah. part of all of this? Yeah, it certainly is, Dan. I'm glad you brought it up. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the toilet paper comparison. That's kind of how I've been explaining it to some other folks. It is a little bit of the toilet paper effect. Um, I think some of the folks like you who have been buying ammunition by by the thousand round blocks or, or even greater, um, you know, this is something that's probably not new and, and you've been very well situated to kind of prepare for it. Some of the brand new gun buyers are certainly hit with a shock that they walk in and their shelves bare of, of the ammunition that they want. Um, and I think some of the folks who are in between who buy, you know, a couple of boxes at a time. Uh, we're probably some of those who have now been converted into what you're calling the hoarders. And I, and I call those people just, you know, very well prepared. Um, so I think what you saw again was a little bit of that toilet paper effect. And it's, it's a natural phenomenon that happens with any, uh, any kind of product that's in high demand. We said again, the toilet paper, we kind of laugh at it, but it's, it, it was very visible to see that happen to a very common product at the time. We've seen runs on ammunition before, but not quite like what we're seeing now. Um, so I think what happens is you see the customer walks into that, uh, to that retail shop, whether it be a big box retailer or their local gun shop, or, or even if they're buying online. And, the, and it's always been available. And all of a sudden, when it's starting to become a little bit bare on those shelves, uh, that's a natural reaction. Well, ooh, it's starting to get a little bit bare nine mil or bare 45 or, or six, five cream or my favorite round that I want to shoot. So you grab a couple extra boxes for, for just in case. Uh, well, that has a cascading effect because the, the person coming in behind you sees the same thing. Only now there's two more boxes gone. So they grab a couple boxes. Well, now it's down four boxes and six boxes and it starts to cascade out. Uh, so it has a, a definitive uh, effect on on the market. And, and when people see things are getting scarce, they tend to want to be prepared for that scarcity. Uh, so that that starts with a little bit of your hoarding effect to, to make sure that you're able to make it to the lean times. Uh, 
Well, those lean times normally for us in the past, we saw this with 22 rim fire. We've seen it even with nine mil and 45 and, and two, two, three, and six, five, five, six. But this has been every caliber. It has been every gauge. It has been across the board and it's been sustained for well over a year. So it, it is a little bit different in the fact that, you know, we're not coming out of it anytime soon, but that certainly is a big factor. And, and again, I keep reminding people, the manufacturers are making as much as they can at a faster rate than they've ever made it. So it's getting out there and it's getting sold. But if you're not the one who's buying the ammunition, it's your next door neighbor. They're the ones who are buying it. Someone's out there buying it. It's not just sitting around and uh, and not being sold. It's not being held back. It's, it's being pushed out there. It's starting to ease up a little bit. I recently was able to take a, um, a prairie dog hunting trip up in Montana and, and I paid quite a bit more than I would normally pay for for 5.56, but I was able to find 5.56 and I was able to have a shift and I paid quite a bit more for it, but it's out there and you're able to find, you just have to be a little bit more creative and you're probably going to pay a little bit more. So the problems that we're seeing now are similar to what we've seen in the past. You know, for example, when Obama was in office, there was a, a big shortage then, you know, and, and prices went up, the shelves were bare. Are, is what you're saying that this is similar to what's happened before, it's just more of it? Um, yeah, a much more of it, I think is probably a better way to put it. So the manufacturers are telling us that, that we could be with this for 18 to 24 months. So, you know, and I was one of those people at the beginning. I was like, oh, well, we'll just sit back. My wife asked me, hey, should we go out and buy more ammunition? Do we think we need it? And I was like, no, the price is going up. We'll wait for it to come down. Well, those prices aren't coming down. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I had to make that choice of, okay, I'm, am I going to buy the ammunition that I want, that I want to use and pay a little bit higher price to make sure I can have it? And that's, in fact, what I did. I shoot a very particular round, like probably like a lot of us. We, we become uh, married to the round that we know performs the way we want to perform in our rifles for hunting season or the, or the shotgun ammunition that we use for duck hunting or for upland bird hunting. Uh, so I use a very particular round through my 30-06 bolt rifle. That round was not available until a couple months ago from the manufacturer that I buy it from. And I was waiting and I was waiting and I was waiting and I've got hunting season coming up. And finally, about a month or two ago, uh, it showed on their website and I was able to order it. And I ordered about 80 rounds, just enough to get me through this hunting season, next hunting season, probably a little bit more. But I've got enough that I can I can feel comfortable that I'm not walking out into the woods with my last box. But additionally, for my 6.5 Creedmoor, I shoot a completely different round, completely different manufacturer uh, and the same thing. I'm having trouble in finding that round and, and I'm you know, to order that, I'm going to have to pay a little bit more to have that there. So we're finding the availability is an issue, but pricing is an issue um, and, and people are having to look around a little bit. So a little bit like the, the, the runs we've seen before, but, but it's a much more sustained. And I think because of the numbers that we're seeing of these new gun buyers and existing gun buyers buying more frames and more types of firearms, uh, it, it is, uh, it is a pattern unlike any we've seen before. And we'll be living with this for quite a little while. So uh, here in Ohio, we're seeing this affecting training classes. We run some fairly high-level training classes that require three or 400 rounds. And our enrollment is about half. And I think it's entirely due to ammo. You know, people just don't have it or they don't want to buy it because it's going to be that much more expensive. How is this across the country? Is everyone having trouble with uh, getting people in the training classes as far as hunting, is there less hunting going on? So we're still watching the the pace of hunting sales, uh, hunting license sales. Last year in 2020, they were up in every state. 
just like gun sales were up in every state, hunting licenses were up in every state for several reasons. People had more time on their hands. Hunting is probably your original socially distanced activity. The further away you can get from other people, the better off you're going to be. You know, except for maybe you're duck hunters, and I'm one of those guys huddled in a duck blind, you know, next to your buddy. But but we saw a lot more hunting licenses being sold across the states. And of course, now you know, we're starting to get into the hunting season. So I just renewed my my sportsman's license for the state I live in, so I can I can get back out in September and and uh, start on dove and and you know run my way through the season the best I can. So we're, we're watching those numbers again closely. But uh, but again, so we've seen the same thing with classes that you're observing. Classes are still staying full. There's still a waiting list, but, you know, it is an issue of ammunition availability. I know a couple months ago, uh, I went to one indoor range and they were telling me their customers that they had to bring their own ammunition. They just didn't have anything that was available for, for sale. That has since been alleviated there, but I, I found that to be, you know, quite interesting. The range that I normally shoot at uh, has had ammunition available across the counter. They are really trying to make uh, efforts to make sure people, you know, shoot what they use. Uh, and a lot of ranges have that that kind of uh, clause in, in what they ask their customers. You know, if you're going to buy it here, please shoot it here. Uh, but they've also taken a little bit closer look at what people are bringing in to make sure that they're bringing in ammunition that's uh, that is not that is not allowed on that ammunition. Particularly, they're looking at the five, five, six green tip ammunition at my range. Uh, they want to make sure that people aren't coming in and shooting that because then then their concerns are course, over penetration of the, of the safety walls in the back. Um, so it's, um, you know, we've seen that some with the classes, though. I, we, we're still seeing some classes that are, that are you know, still pretty full and waiting on line. But we've heard people are, are you know, waiting out uh, and kind of seeing where they're going to be with the ammunition. What's interesting, though, is these new gun buyers don't seem to be just buying guns and putting them into the back of the gun safe or locking it up in the back of the closet somewhere. They're out there learning how to use it. And I think that's part of what's contributing to uh, this consumption of ammunition. Uh, and I try to remind, I mean, you and I might be familiar with this team, but and, um, probably most of your listeners, but for a lot of the new hunter, new gun owners, uh, you're, you kind of remind them, I don't start my day at a range without, you know, 200 rounds ready to go down range. I'm, I'm, if I'm going to take my rifle and my handgun, I'm going to take at least 100 rounds for each just just for about an hour's worth of shooting. So I think that's uh, that's not abnormal for, for a gun owner who's, you know, an average shooter. Yeah, but 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 I can tell you it, it uh, really hurts for those of us who have been around long enough where we remember what the prices used to be like. You know, I still have yeah, I still have bricks of twenty two from when I shot bullseye. It's been it's been a while. You know, I would buy thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds. UPS would deliver it to my house. And this was back when 100 rounds of CCI standard were going for $4. So, you know, when you're shooting and every time you pull the trigger, it's four cents. That's a lot different than it is now. And financially, you know, it, it, it's your, your finger aches, you know, when, when it's yeah. <laughs> costing that much. And when you have, you know, the bigger rounds, the more expensive rounds, you know, you're pulling the trigger and it's a dollar, a dollar fifty. That hurts. That hurts a lot. So, yeah. uh, I mean, you're, uh, you're right. And interestingly, when I was, I was on this uh, prairie dog hunt, uh, one of the people I was up there with was uh, Jerry Mishlick. And, uh, and he actually made the comment. He's like, listen, uh, you know, the prairie dog gets uh, $3 worth of, uh, of, 
of a try to live. After that, it's earned its, its availability lips because the cost of ammunition. So, you know, he would say that, you know, if on the third shot he wasn't able to, to hit that prairie dog, he was moving on and finding another one to take a, take a shot at. Now, again, this is Jerry. So uh, there wasn't a whole lot of wasted ammunition when he was on the trigger, but uh, but that's kind of how we all were. You know, you, I went out with 600 rounds and, and I was very conscious of the fact that it was about a dollar every time I squeezed that trigger. Yeah. So, how about uh, the the military? You know, we know how about civilians have been affected, and I guess law enforcement or you know they're feeling that too because they're often buying, you know, through the civilian supply chain. I've read that the military is different, and they actually produce their own ammo. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So the military's ammunition is provided through a separate supply chain. And I spent 25 years in the Marine Corps, so I certainly used quite a bit of that ammunition. But all the ammunition for the U.S. Armed Forces is produced uh, by contract out of Lake City, Missouri. Uh, so that's a completely separate supply chain. It doesn't doesn't affect the availability of uh, ammunition that you and I buy. So it's, it is a completely separate track. It's, it's not being diverted off. It's not being held back. Uh, but for your law enforcement, it, it, they are kind of in the same boat as, as you and I. Uh, a lot of your smaller police departments, like in the town where I live, uh, they're buying their ammunition from the local retailers. You know, they're, they're buying it straight through there. Now, if it's a major metro area, uh, Miami, Los Angeles, you know, Dallas, New York City, Chicago, those, those law enforcement uh, departments are able to you know, set up their own you know, distribution uh, through the manufacturers directly and, and buy it there. So it's going to be a little bit bigger because they're able to buy so much you know, uh, more in bulk. Uh, but we are seeing that there are some concerns for law enforcement, just like there are concerns for you and I. You and I want to be able to make sure that we can use our firearms proficiently. And the same thing has to happen for law enforcement. And they're required to qualify with those firearms to make sure that they know what they're doing. Uh, and that's that's what we as taxpayers expect. So uh, they've had to be creative about how they go about doing it. So it might be cutting back a little bit on, on some training opportunities where we would want them. But they're so far making those uh, qualifications that they need to. Uh, probably like you and I, probably a lot more dry firing these days uh, and less live firing. Uh, but there may be actually value in getting back to the basics on uh, on basic uh, trigger control, breath control, satellite and picture. So, Mark, I, I just want to make this official. The government is not hoarding ammo, right? I promise, I promise you the government is not hoarding your ammo. Okay, so and the ammo companies are not holding back. They're not in cahoots to drive up prices and holding back that ammo. No, that, that would be illegal. And uh, that, that's something that they would be taken to task for and they would lose their companies if they did that. So, no. so how about, I'm, I'm just running down the list of all these sure, conspiracy theories. I'm glad to do it. Uh, ammo factories have shut down. I've, I've heard that one. Is that, is that true? No, ammunition factories never closed. The, the NSF worked really hard with the governors of the states to make sure that ammunition and firearms manufacturing remained open throughout even the height of the pandemic. When everything else was being shut down, we had, uh, great success in getting the governors to declare fire manufacturers, ammunition manufacturers, ranges, retailers, et cetera, critical uh, structure and infrastructures to be able to stay open. And that was because law enforcement needed to be able to get their ammunition. Uh, That's because, you know, you have a Second Amendment right. And if that uh, if the government's orders are to shut down those uh, people who provide you those rights, then they're denying you those rights. And, and by and large, with the exception of a couple of governors, they kept them all open. And those that, uh, you know, tried to keep things closed, well, they, they lost in court. And uh, or they, they turned up the tail when uh, faced with lawsuits. So, 
Nope, it's it's not the government denying your ability. It's it's uh, it's actually the other way around. I think a lot of the governors, and some of those governors you wouldn't expect, uh, were were very proactive in making sure that this wasn't an issue for them. Uh, and I'm looking at you know states that are not too far from yours, Illinois. Um, Illinois, we know, is a very strict gun control state, but but uh, the governor uh, very quickly was one of the first to put out uh, an order that said the the firearm manufacturing and, and uh, ranges were considered critical infrastructure would remain open. So. Well, Mark, uh, I'm I'm uh, glad that the aliens are not abducting our ammo. <laughs> I'm glad that the ammo companies aren't shutting down and uh, that, that the companies are not in cahoots to drive up prices. I can't say that that really makes me feel a lot better because, like I said, it still hurts to pull that trigger knowing how much yeah. it costs. Yeah. But, uh, Mark, uh, I really appreciate your being on the podcast, helping to explain some of this. And uh, you said you're thinking it's going to be another 18 to 24 months before we're back to anything that we can call normal. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. That's what the manufacturers are telling us, um, you know, and, and they've been telling us that for a few months now. So it's, it's you know, a little bit discernment. Are they, are they kind of hedging their bets and shifting the goalpost out just a little bit? Or are we within that, you know, 24 month window and now we're down to 18 months? Uh, I, I know that as I look around, I'm starting to see ammunition show up in the retailer uh, locations around me. Uh, I'm seeing the prices come down online a little bit for some of your more common calipers. So the nine mil and, and the 45 and the 223, 556. Uh, those are all starting to become a little bit more affordable. Still, you're still looking at, you know, maybe twice as much as you were paying previous to this. Uh, but maybe not quite three times as much as what we saw in some of those cases. Like I said, I know that when I bought five, five, six, it was it was close to a dollar round, and that's three times what that we would consider that normal price of thirty three cents around for green tip ammunition, right? So I mean, it's uh, it's starting to come down, but I think we're going to be you know fluttering our way down there for quite a while till till it becomes well what you and I would hope to be, you know, uh, a fairly inexpensive endeavor to buy ammunition again. Well, it's, I guess that's just another argument for air guns, right? Once you buy, once you buy, <laughs> you know, because I've got a, I have a, a an air pistol. I used to shoot ten meter air pistol, and the pistol itself was really expensive. But after that, it was just tens of of pellets, and so you know, it's a few bucks. That that's about the cheapest kind of shooting you can do. Well, Mark, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, all the information that you shared with us. Fingers crossed that the industry comes back to normal at some point. And uh, thanks for all you do with NSSF and, uh, you know, keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you, Dean. It is really is a treat to be able to, to reach out to the folks here in Ohio, uh, you know, through you and through your reach. And, and we at the industry uh, certainly appreciate what you guys are doing in the state to, to advance the rights of Ohioans to, to exercise their Second Amendment rights, be able to protect themselves and take part in shooting sports. So I just encourage everybody, hey, this is August, this is National Shooting Sports Month, take yourself out to a range, but even better, take somebody with you, someone who hasn't been out there in a while or someone who's always had the itch to try because remember it, it took someone inviting us to go out and learn how to do it as well whether that was our, our dad or our uncle or a next door neighbor uh, you know be that person for somebody else and, and grow another uh, recreational shooter on it this year thanks mark that's all for this episode of keep and bear radio if you enjoyed the podcast i urge you to subscribe and please subscribe to the buckeye firearms association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST 
to get $10 off your membership. That's joinpfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.